tell you. I, we're not going to get into that. So, um, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a, a group from our church who went down to Ship Shawana. Uh, uh, some people don't know what that is. It's a giant flea market. My kids asked me, what is a, why do they call it a flea market? And so we looked it up, and it's a place that usually attracts fleas. That's why they call it a flea market. That's what the Internet said. So um, I didn't go. Uh, on the trip, uh, but my wife did, and that just underscored once again that we are very different, uh, she and I. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, if I went to Shipshawana, uh, I would uh, have a singular thing in mind. Uh, I would go, I would visit three booths that likely to have it, and pick the best of the options and be waiting at the bus for everyone else to come back. Um, my wife loves the huge variety of things here, there. Uh, but there's one thing that she likes more than anything else that they have at Shipshawana. It's deals. No, I, I'm serious. It, it seems obvious, but it, it's, it's different for me, and it, it just strikes me from time to time that, that for me, I, when I shop, there's something that I want, and so I buy it, and then I have it, and I wanted it, and now I have it, so I'm happy. Like, and that seems simple and it makes sense to me. But my wife, somehow, how good of a deal you got out of it greatly changes the enjoyment of the object. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes and no. I, all right, we're unanimous in a variety of opinion. That, that somehow, if you, the, the, the value of the object and the price you actually paid for it, if it's less, all of a sudden, the, the, it enhances the enjoyment, the appreciation, the graceness of the, the object. And I don't understand it because for me, it's, it's just the object. Does anyone else, would anyone else admit to being like my wife, who's just crazy, obviously? Oh, there's several of you here. The deal, uh, the deal makes the difference. The deal, the bargain increases the satisfaction. The savings is three-quarters of the fun, and it's possible that some stuff comes home that we don't actually need, but it was a really good <laughs> deal, like in all honesty. I didn't say that in the first service, but she's not here uh, in this service, so that's it. Keep your mouth shut, young man, down there. So I was uh, meditating on this because uh, we're in Genesis 39, uh, and I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. It's the story of Joseph and Potiphar. Uh, we're returning to Joseph's story. When last we let him, he'd been sold into slavery uh, by his brothers uh, because they hated him, uh, because he was special to his father, and he was chosen by God. Uh, but they didn't accept that, and so they sold him into slavery. And as I read Genesis 39, there's some good stuff that happens to Joseph, but then it ends with more bad stuff happening to Joseph. And it seems to me that Joseph is not getting a very good deal. Uh, that Joseph, uh, the things that happen to him um, are not the things that I think ought to happen uh, to somebody who is, uh, as we'll see in there, a person of incredible character and righteousness um, and there's so much that is good about Joseph and his faith and his actions and his choices, uh, but continually bad things happen uh, to, to Joseph. 
Uh, perhaps this can be illustrated most of all by two statements that kind of bracket this entire chapter. Uh, one is in verse 3 and one is verse 27. Uh, if you can read them both simultaneously, you're amazing. We'll do them one at a time. In Genesis 39 verse 3, it says that Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And then verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight. And then if you go down to verse 21, we see a very similar statement that says, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Uh, now these two verses are, are noteworthy to me, uh, first of all because they're very similar, uh, coming at the beginning and the end of the chapter, uh, but even more so is because they were spoken of Joseph while he was first a slave in a foreign land and then a prisoner for a crime that he did not commit. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord granted him success, and he grew in favor uh, with his masters, a slave master and a prison keeper. Uh, this, this is the exact opposite of what I think ought to happen if the Lord is with someone uh, he is granting them success uh, or showing his steadfast love and he is granting them favor. Shouldn't good things, more good things, much better things come Joseph's way? Uh, in fact, uh, Genesis 38 and 39 actually in some ways parallel each other. There's a contrast between Judah and Joseph. Uh, we won't get into all of the sordid details, um, but they're available in the sermon last week. Uh, but when you think about it, Joseph and Judah, if you look at the opening verses, uh, it says that uh, Judah goes down uh, to the, meet a friend, the Adulamite. Joseph is brought down uh, as a slave. Uh, Judah, at the beginning of chapter 38, he makes friends with this person. Joseph is bought uh, as a slave. Uh, Judah gets married and he starts a family, and Joseph is brought and he serves a family. Uh, if we stop right there in both of those stories, I think we would legitimately ask, who exactly is it that God is with? Uh, who is God granting success and favor? Because to that point, I would much prefer my life look like Judah's life than it would Joseph's life. Uh, let's, let's see this more clearly. Let's begin reading the story uh, in verses 1 through 6. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time, he, he had made him overseer in his house over in all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything uh, but the food uh, that he ate. Uh, in these opening verses, we see Joseph's character. On the middle of this chapter, we're going to see uh, Joseph's challenge. And then finally, we're going to see the cost, Joseph's cost that it had for him. Uh, but it opens describing Joseph, uh, a slave sold into slavery, 
And uh, uh, really, there's much against him. We can, we can rush over this, but we need to realize, and it's worth highlighting, uh, that uh, Genesis 37 tells us that Joseph was uh, thir- 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. Uh, and a few chapters later, we learn that Joseph was 30 years old when he was elevated to uh, Pharaoh's right-hand man. Uh, and so the events of chapters 39 and 40 and 41, they all occur over a 13-year period. Uh, the last two of those years, Joseph, uh, sorry for the spoiler, he ends up in prison. Uh, the last two of those 13 years, he's in prison. So 11 years, Joseph spends time uh, in slavery. Uh, he's an overnight success uh, over 11 years. God granted him success. Uh, The reality is this was a time that showed Joseph's diligence and his trustworthiness. Uh, He was successful at whatever he put his hands to. Uh, Whatever he was given to do, uh, he did his best and he did it well. Uh, He did not wait for a job that was worthy of him. He took the jobs that were before them and did well, and they were recognized. They were recognized as God's hand being on him, and he was elevated to the position uh, of the steward uh, of uh, Pharaoh's house, or not a Pharaoh's house, of Potiphar's house. Uh, Joseph was diligent. He's also trustworthy. Uh, to me, the thing that strikes me in this passage is that Potiphar says he, he had no concern about anything in his house. Uh, later on, when he uh, is put in prison, the keeper of the prison uh, it says, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Uh, Joseph's character uh, was so remarkable consistent, trustworthy, diligent, uh, that his owner and the keeper of the prison could say, you know what, if Joseph's in charge of it, I don't have to worry about it. It will be done. Uh, In a sense, he had low accountability because he had proven himself faithful. Uh, You know, as I I was thinking of that level of character, a character where no one has concern about them, um, it reminded me of a purchase uh, that my wife and I made recently. Actually, it's an app. I don't know if you can call that a purchase. Um, it's better than Shipshawana, though, I know uh, that. Uh, my wife found this app because uh, several of our children now have cell phones, and it's called Life360. Man, this is so hard with my son right here uh, in the room with us. Uh, Life360 is an app that allows you to know where your children uh, or their phones uh, are, and their phones are often with them. And for a parent, they're a great comfort when we know they've made it safely home after an event or work, if they've made it safely to their destination, uh, if I know whether to pick them up at this school or at that school when I've forgotten to pick them up. It's a very useful app uh, for me, uh, especially. Um, My kids have a slightly different perspective on the app uh, that is closer to this review uh, that I read uh, of the app. Uh, This was a one-star review, uh, in fact. Uh, This... Uh, person uh, wrote, you know, sometimes I think to myself, why does this app exist? This app is basically for your parents to stalk you so when you're at the bar and you're not supposed to be, they could ground you for the whole week and not allow you to have a drink for a whole week. I mean, geez, like not even a glass of water. (laughs) There's a period. I'm I'm just reading as it's punctuated. Uh, I couldn't even survive a whole day. Also, you can't have steak because the juice in your steak is technically a liquid. I think because they're not allowed to drink. It's a little confusing, but it's interesting. That's why we're reading it here today. Uh, To sum up, this app is total, well, we don't use that word here, and should be banned from the app store, Stephanie Beck. 
Uh, Stephanie, my kids are, are not exactly like, I don't think, although I accuse one of my children who is not present uh, of, did you ghostwrite that? Is there things that I should know? Um, now the app, it, it is a little confusing because it is apparent that this person is both young enough to be grounded and old enough to go to a bar. And so there's, <laughs> there's a little confusion there. But the point that I really wanted to highlight from reading this is that this person, they would like no accountability like Joseph. They, but there's two paths to have low or no accountability. There's the path that says, I will complain. I don't want anyone look, knowing what I'm doing. I want to do what I want, and I want freedom to do what I want with nobody saying a contrary word. That's one path to no low accountability or no accountability. Or there's the path of character that Joseph revealed that said, I do everything well with complete integrity and trustworthiness and reliability and diligence and at the end, nobody worries about me anymore because they know exactly what I will do. It's the result that Stephanie Beck wants, and it's the result that you and I sometimes want. I, I, I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't like to be confronted and told when I'm doing something wrong. I'd like low accountability. But what if I had low accountability because I reveal the character that marked Joseph's life? Diligence, trustworthiness, and as we'll see when Joseph faced his challenge, his character is revealed by purity. Uh, let's continue uh, in the story. Uh, it says in verse 6, Genesis 39, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I've always had trouble relating to Joseph uh, for that point. Uh, Chris should be here to preach this message, don't you think? Like he would say something, so I feel compelled to say that uh, in his absence. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Uh, but he refused. And he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, this is repeated challenge of Joseph's life, he would not listen to her. He would not lie beside her uh, or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment and saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he got out of the house and as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me, and he fled, and he got out of the house. Uh, once again, Joseph's cloak is used uh, as a witness, as evidence uh, of a lie uh, that is told about him. First, that he was dead to his father, and now uh, that he was uh, unfaithful, uh, used against him. 
Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And after rehearsing her story to herself several more times, that's the amplified version, she told him the same story, saying, This Hebrew student whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Joseph's challenge. Uh, Joseph's challenge is confronted with temptation, repeated temptation. A temptation that, uh, in a sense, he could say was not his fault. Uh, A temptation confronted with it again and again, but Joseph resisted temptation. Uh, Now, I'd like to talk about how Joseph resisted temptation, Uh, but there's a first question that we have to ask, and perhaps it's it's unique to our day and maybe it's not, Uh, but that question is, why should we resist temptation? What is the big deal? Uh, there are voices in our, in our culture that say, you know what, temptation and sin is not the problem, guilt is the problem. Uh, and it is actually religious people, uh, their, with their focus on sin and it's wrong, that produces guilt, and that guilt is really the problem. And if we didn't have guilt, then people would feel better about themselves. And if they felt better about themselves, they'd be happy and fulfilled as well. Uh, have you ever heard someone say something? Uh, like that. Uh, the idea is that, you know what, because we put guilt, uh, because of an emphasis on purity of marriage, that, that creates problems from people. They feel, feel guilty for doing what's normal and natural. And if we just stop making them feel guilty, then all of the problems would be uh, removed. That's not the issue. Uh, the problem is a, a harsh moral code uh, that creates conflict in people's hearts, that causes, that causes problems and is unhealthy and unwise. Uh, really, maybe the answer is we should stop resisting temptation. Uh, in this case, Potiphar's wife is probably in an unhappy marriage. Why else would she seek uh, pleasure and happiness elsewhere? He is young and handsome and available. Uh, she is willing and Potiphar is nowhere to be seen. Uh, It would not be the first time that a slave master has taken advantage of a slave. And here, uh, perhaps it's only fair. Uh, The guys do it all the time, and here is her turn uh, to do so. Uh, Why resist temptation? You know, to answer that question, we have to understand uh, some, uh, some lies that we're told in our culture and some truths about sin, and those will become apparent as we go along. Uh, Why resist temptation? Where is the harm, people would say. Uh, A lot of this thinking comes in a culture, our culture, where we focus on rights more than righteousness. Uh, We focus on what we have a right to do uh, rather than what is the right thing to do. Uh, We hear things like, who are you to tell me what I can do with my body? Freedom is preeminent. Uh, I have a right to do what I want. Um, It's a question that confuses Uh, It's a statement that confuses legality with morality. There are a host of things that are absolutely legal uh, to do, but are morally wrong. Uh, But sometimes in the church when we call up and we say this is an action that is wrong, people say, well, why are you trying to control other people? Uh, Is it control or acknowledging a reality of something that is right uh, versus wrong? You know, this was hammered hammered home to me in a, uh, really in a strange way, and I hesitate to use this illustration um, because I read this in an article. I didn't watch it on TV. Um, I'm talking about The Bachelorette, actually. Uh, 
I won't ask you if you watch The Bachelorette because I don't want to know, uh, to be honest. I really don't. Uh, but uh, you, probably most people are familiar. It's a show where there's a, a young woman who is, uh, would like to find her perfect match, and so somehow she thinks that by going on reality TV and inviting a dozen people and publicly getting to know them, that she's going to find happiness forever. It doesn't work that often, but that, that's the premise of the show. Uh, the, uh, the part that is interesting to me is that if you have read the news, it's been in the news a little bit, and that's where I found it, not watching it on TV. Let me just reiterate that one last time. Uh, the Bachelorette uh, dumped one of the last finalists in the show uh, because in one, and it appeared to be her favorite is what I read, and uh, he, she did so uh, because he objected to something that she had done. Uh, in her own words, she says, you know what, there are lots of different sins, and for Luke, sex was the thing that made me not worthy to be his wife. She had slept with at least one of the other contestants in the reality TV show, and this was objectionable to uh, one of the finalists. As he continued to talk to me, it just made me more angry. I was not trying to say that it's okay to live a life of sin and just to call out the name of Jesus, but I'm a human being, and Jesus still loves me. Uh, although I'm a devoted Christian, I don't believe sex outside of marriage will put me on Jesus' bad side. Um, in that, there's a whole lot uh, in that statement, uh, to be honest. Um, it is one of those cases where, where someone says something and you, as soon as they say it, you know they mean the exact opposite of what they say. Have you ever experienced that? You know, I don't mean to offend you. That's the clue that they're about to offend you. <laughs> like that, you know, what they say, the exact opposite is about to come. And when someone says, I'm not trying to say that it's okay to live a life of sin and just call out the name of Jesus, no, that's what you're saying. Uh, at least there is no indication of anything that you said publicly that you're acknowledging that what you did was wrong before God. Uh, but we focus in our culture on rights, what I have a right to do. Uh, I have a right to have my needs met. I have a right to be happy. Um, I have a right uh, to do what's normal and accepted by our culture. I have a right to that, and the emphasis is not on righteousness, uh, at all. It's what I have a legal right to do. And as Christians, we'd say, yes, there is a legal right uh, to a host of things, uh, but if God has revealed that things are wrong, that we believe that they're wrong. And we hold ourselves to that standard, and there are times where we speak that truth into our larger culture. Uh, it's not always well received, though. Uh, and that's because the second problem, the second uh, reason that people say, you know what, what, what maybe wh why resist temptation? Do doesn't a person have a right to do what makes them happy? And the second reason is that we have often moved the location of right and wrong from God to ourselves. We said rather than right and wrong be something that is outside of myself that's determined by the God who created this world, uh, instead right and wrong is internal to me. Um, Maybe it's my conscience, you know, as long as my conscience doesn't bother me, then I permit myself to do this. Uh, the, the, the location of right and wrong is moved from God to self, and I determine what is right and wrong. Uh, now this, uh, there are some good things that our conscience can do. 
Uh, Romans chapter 2 says that, that when people do what is right or reject what is wrong, it's the law of God written on their hearts, and it calls it our conscience. Our conscience reveals that the, that the law of God is written on our hearts. It is a, a God-given sense uh, of what is right and wrong. It's a detector uh, of right and wrong when it's working properly. Uh, but it is not the creator of right and wrong, and that's where the mistake that many people uh, make. Uh, because Scripture also tells us that our consciences can be weak and they can be seared. Uh, they are affected by how we are raised and what we are surrounded. They can be uh, sensitive to the wrong things and insensitive uh, to uh, things that they ought to. Um, the conscience is shaped uh, by our experience, and so it is not a foolproof uh, detector of the standard that is rooted in the character of God. Uh, the passage, the verse that, that hammers this home to me more than any other is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, in it, Paul writes, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, he says. Uh, but here's the interesting point that he makes about the conscience. But that does, uh, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Scripture is absolutely clear that my conscience is a useful and valuable and God-given thing that we ought to listen to, uh, but it is not a substitute for understanding what God has revealed about his character and about the morals that govern the universe that he has made. Uh, our conscience is not a trustworthy guide. And when I move the, my sense of right and wrong to what feels right or what feels wrong, I will be misguided. If we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes over time, wrong could begin to seem right if it's solely dependent on myself. Uh, but Joseph knew that right and wrong uh, is not determined internally, it's determined externally uh, by his creator and his God, the one who had chosen him and had a plan for him. Uh, we must keep in mind this external standard. Uh, this is obvious in other areas of our life. Uh, I don't do construction uh, or building things uh, very often, and when I do, I repent about five minutes after starting, uh, as a general rule. Uh, but this, uh, this past week, uh, my dog, actually my dog some time ago, uh, undermined a four-foot retaining wall around a garden bed and collapsed the wall. She's very industrious uh, and for sale, uh, strangely enough. <laughs> so I needed to fix this wall, um, and the first thing I needed to do uh, is I hammered a couple of stakes into the ground and I ran a string and I tried to make it sure it's level, but I'm really bad at it. But I, I, had, the, I had the principle, I think, in... I hate talking about construction because somebody's going to tell me I did it this wrong afterwards, but that's okay. I'm tough. I'll, I'll take it. So I ran this line and my son was just like... He was, my youngest son was a little exasperated. Aaron, he's just like, why is this taking so long and we're doing this? And the reality is it's because I know my own heart. And without an objective standard outside myself to determine whether this wall was level, I would set a block and say, that's pretty good. That's pretty good to the next one. And then set the next one. And pretty soon my, my wall would be going up and down and up and down. And the dog would have a much easier time destroying it the next time she digs under it. Uh, than it was. Uh, I needed a standard outside of myself to guide me. E even following it imperfectly because of my poor construction skills 
that standard allowed this wall to stand and to be firm and to be built the right way. Uh, aren't you glad that I didn't build these walls on either side of us? Just look at them for a second. Just, just seriously look at them. You know, you're as bad as the first service. Nobody is actually looking at the walls. Look. Can you imagine if there was not a standard outside the eye of the builder who just said, yep, we're going to keep the wall this way, we're going to keep the wall this way. Has anyone ever been in a building where a brick wall like that's kind of leaning in on you? It's very disconcerting and a bad place to take a nap. Don't do that. <laughs> we need to have a standard outside of ourselves uh, because our perception of right and wrong is influenced. It changed. And ultimately, it's not just effective to do it that way. It's because the standard comes from outside of us because we have been made uh, by the God that's revealed in Scripture. Um, and so we conform ourselves to his standard and uh, not choose to be our own standard. Uh, Joseph understood this, and so he resisted temptation. And uh, uh, at the heart of this passage, um, we learn how Joseph resisted temptation. I would suggest uh, that Joseph chose more than just willpower. Uh, that more than just you know, a determination to say, you know what, I'm going to try really hard to resist sin and temptation. Uh, that what we read in his words and his actions revealed a more comprehensive strategy to resist sin and one that I need to hear. Uh, because I, feel, I fear that sometimes we are content with temptation. Uh, we feel like, you know what, this, uh, that sin is something that we have to live with. And that perhaps as a Christian I show my strength by, by staring temptation right in the eye and not giving into it. Joseph's strategy was more comprehensive uh, than that, how he chose to resist temptation. Uh, I'd like to suggest there's at least five parts uh, to it, five parts that I would highlight today. Uh, first of all, Joseph had a high view of God. Uh, really, we catch this at the end of his statement to Potiphar's wife. Uh, Joseph says, how can I do this sin against God. He saw sin as something that was ultimately against God. Uh, now some commentators that, have, uh, that I read this week said, you know what, I wish he'd led with that one. You know, it just, it preaches better if he said, you know what, even if it feels right and there's no consequence, you know, I'm still going to not do it because it's wrong before God. And because it's last, they're like, maybe that wasn't a big deal to Joseph. I don't think that that's the case. Joseph in his statement says more than one thing, but he certainly says, I see sin as something that is against God. Uh, what this means is that Joseph saw God as more than just a friend who helps him when he's in a tough spot. Uh, he didn't see God as someone who exists to serve him, rather that, that God is above Joseph, and that Joseph was accountable to him and under him. And so to, if nothing else is the case uh, against this sin, if it's against God, it's wrong, and Joseph was not going to go in. If you're going to resist temptation, and you have a, a, a small view of God, that he is a, a partner walking through life that we can depend on to give hope and meaning, uh, if you can be like uh, Hannah B. and say, you know what, Jesus, I don't think he ever would really get mad at me because he loves me so much. He's for me. He would never be upset at anything that I would do. If that's how you view God, it's going to be really tough to resist temptation because if he exists to affirm and uphold me and encourage me and get me up when I'm down, he does those things, but he never stops being God. Joseph had a high view of God and it 
uh, was the foundation of why he chose to and was able to uh, resist temptation. Uh, secondly, Joseph had a clear view of sin. Uh, he calls it great wit- wickedness, again in verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Uh, you know what? Sometimes when we talk about sin, we say we made a mistake. Uh, it was a lapse of judgment. It was a poor decision. Uh, in school, they talk about you know, making positive choices or negative choices. You know, was that a good choice uh, that you did to punch that kid in the mouth? Well, you're right. It, it, it is a choice. Uh, it is an action. It is an act of will. Uh, it's reflected in our judgment. It can be a mistake that doesn't reflect who we'd really like to be. Uh, but sin, sinful choices, are wickedness. Um, they are wrong. And because of that, they are both dangerous and destructive. Uh, they are wrong not just because God declared them and put a label on them and said, that's right, that's wrong. They are also wrong because the way God made this world, sin is ultimately and always dangerous and destructive. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way to death. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Here's the difference. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Uh, Right and wrong is ultimately rooted in the character of God, uh, but because this universe is also created by God, the way this world works is that sinful choices are wickedness, they're dangerous and destructive. Uh, Their results are not always immediately negative, but they're ultimately negative. Um, And if I don't have a clear view of sin as something that God has Uh, calls wrong both because of his character and because it is ultimately dangerous or destructive, I am in danger of falling into it because sometimes it looks good. Uh, The easy action is attractive. Um, There is an appeal to it in the moment. Uh, But at the root of it, if we follow along, it brings uh, guilt uh, for Joseph, jealousy, uh, the danger of abuse. negative consequences abound in sin and the great lies of satan are to say you know what the immediate is all that matters and it's going to be okay don't forget uh, about the future there's a joseph had a clear view of sin he did not minimize it he said it's wicked i cannot do so uh, joseph had a high view of god he had a clear view of sin on the third thing that is uh is fascinating to me in his statement is that he had a view that was bigger than himself. Uh, If I was Joseph, uh, I could see myself saying when confronted with temptation, to say, I can't do that. I would be in such big trouble uh, if I did it. Actually, that's kind of saying it nice, but uh, more Potiphar would kill me uh, if I did this. Joseph could very easily have said that because it would have actually been true and ought to have been true in this case. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Joseph's statement instead invokes Potiphar, I think for two purposes. One, to remind Potiphar's wife that she has a husband, uh, but also because Joseph's concern is about Potiphar, about what Potiphar had done for him, and that was big in Joseph's eyes. He had a view that was bigger than himself. Uh, What does he say? He said, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in this house. 
He has put everything he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. Joseph says, Potiphar has blessed me so much. He has given me so much. He has trusted me so much. How could I dare violate that trust? Do you know how hard that is in the moment of temptation to think about others rather than yourself? It's incredibly difficult because Satan in temptation always wants us to just think about my, think about my needs, what I want, what I'd like to do. Uh, whether uh, that sin uh, is a uh, desire to shade the truth or share the gossip or covet some stuff or indulge my temper or, or cut someone with my tongue. Temptation takes lots of different forms, uh, but at the heart of it, I'm usually thinking of myself. What seems like the best path for me right now? And that's what I want to do. Joseph, though, said, asked himself, how does this impact those who are around me? Uh, what is the impact on Potiphar, uh, on my relationship with him, my place in this house, the trust that I've received? It would destroy it, and I am not willing to do this because I refuse to think solely of myself. Sin is always inward, always selfish, ultimately uh, for self. To resist temptation... Uh, Joseph had a view that was bigger uh, than himself. Well, two more things, and they're, they're somewhat related that Joseph did. Uh, a high view of God, a clear view of sin, a view of others bigger than self, all of those things are in the mind of what we think about sin. And sometimes that's where we solely want to fight sin, in our mind. I'm going to resist. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to concede this time. I'm not going to give it. Uh, but Joseph didn't stop just in the mind. Uh, the passage says that he, in verse 10, uh, he, would not lie, he would not listen, he would not be with her. Uh, when later on she finds him, or he finds her, or she finds him really, in the house without anyone else present, you get the sense that Joseph, this diligent, wise steward, had always constructed his life in such a way to avoid temptation. Uh, he had very purposely chosen determined action to avoid temptation and to avoid the the appearance of evil and of, uh, of uh, accusation that could be made against him. Uh, he took action to avoid temptation. Um, to be honest, I think sometimes we resist it. As I said earlier, we, we want to stare, stare temptation down and prove that we're bigger than it when sometimes God would say, get out of there. What are you willing to do to avoid temptation and sin? Is your purity and your holiness big enough that you would change your habit Limit your opportunities in order to avoid that, uh, to avoid uh, temptation. Uh, it's the spirit that Matthew 5.30 speaks when Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Uh, I think this is hyperbole in Jesus' case. He's making an exaggeration to make a point rather than literally true. But the point is, would you be willing to take extreme action in order to avoid falling into the same sin uh, or a sin that you can clearly see coming? Uh, Hebrews 12.4, Paul reiterates this thought uh, when he says, you know what, uh, there is sins that so easily beset us, uh, but you have not resisted, here's the quote, you have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood. Wow. A am I that serious about my own holiness, my own purity? Are you, is that that important to you uh, that you would take extreme uh, action to avoid temptation? Because uh, the reality is that often we know where temptation comes or when it comes or how it comes. But are we willing to say, you know what, I'm going to end a relationship. 
Uh, I'm going to change a habit with my phone or computer. Uh, I'm going to take extreme action, action that seems extreme to others, that it's inconvenient. Um, but I do it because my pur- purity is important to me because it's important uh, to God. Uh, Joseph structured his life uh, for uh, avoiding temptation. And lastly, he fl- fled when he had to. Uh, he followed uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, which says we should, there are some temptations that should be flee. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that the Lord is faithful, that when there is temptation, there is a way to escape. But sometimes the way to escape is to flee and run away, not to prove my strength by standing in front of it, uh, but to get away from it as far as we can. Uh, But sadly, sometimes we're just too civilized. We're nice. We'd like to be normal like everyone else. And so uh, whatever the temptation is, I'm going to live with it and exist it because, well, that's the way things are and they have to be. Uh, Joseph had very limited options as a slave and as a steward of this house. Uh, but we get the sense in this passage that he exercised those to the, to the best that he could to avoid uh, temptation uh, because his purity before God was vitally important uh, to him. Uh, what would you do to avoid temptation? Is there a sacrifice that God perhaps has already prompted you to consider to take action, but you said, no, that's, that's too extreme? You know, maybe I'll do better the next time that it comes. Uh, Joseph's would say, you need a high view of God. Uh, You need a clear view of sin. You need to consider of others. But sometimes you just need to get away from sin. Uh, The resisting temptation comes by avoiding it uh, in the first place. Uh, Joseph ran uh, to get away uh, from sin. Uh, Joseph's challenge was temptation. Um, That was not the last challenge that he faces in this passage. Uh, As we read, he was falsely accused. Uh, When Potiphar became aware of it, it tells us that his anger was kindled. Um, And Joseph's master took him, put him into prison, placed him where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Uh, We don't have time to get into whether Joseph, whether Potiphar actually believed his wife or believed Joseph. Some folks see things other way, whether he was angry at Joseph or angry at his wife. If if Joseph was indeed, uh, if he really believed Joseph had uh, attacked his wife, uh, would he not have put him to death? Uh, We don't really know the answer to that. Regardless, uh, Joseph is thrown into prison, an innocent man, uh, a slave in a foreign land, now thrown into prison. And it would be easy for bitterness to seep into Joseph. Uh, Joseph could have easily asked the question that comes to my mind, has God failed Joseph? Is he getting a good value for his faith and trust in God? Is there much of a return? Is this a good deal uh, that uh, Joseph is getting? You know, that's that's a tough question. Because if we really put ourselves into Joseph's shoes, uh, we have to say, um, man, this is a lot of bad stuff. You know, it's great that Joseph is righteous in in that, but man, if the end result is of doing so many things right is to end up in jail, and that's where Joseph is right now. He doesn't know the end of the story like we do. Um, Is that really what God is promising? Is this return uh, for righteousness? Uh, It's a tough question. Um, It requires a radically different view 
uh, of uh, ourselves and of God and of this world. Uh, because Genesis 39 says that, you know what, God is still with Joseph. Uh, what is it worth uh, that God is still with Joseph? Uh, we also see that God is still strengthening Joseph. Uh, in spite of his circumstances, God is still allowing Joseph to succeed, uh, even in the prison. Uh, even in prison, he is exalted to a position of, uh, of authority and ultimately uh, delivered. Uh, God is still with Joseph. God is still strengthening Joseph. And here's the big thing. God still has a future for Joseph. Uh, if Joseph's accounting is totally, totally based in the moment, uh, maybe he has grounds to say, man, God, God's let me down in this case. Uh, but for Joseph, he had a longer view uh, of God. He had a faith and trust in God that said that God has made promises to me and I am going to believe them and I know that God is not a sprinter, he's a marathoner. This is going to last to the end. Joseph exemplifies that faith uh, later on. Uh, Joseph trusts God. Uh, he has the spirit of what, uh, what it says of Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, where it says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. You know, Christianity is not a, a deal that God offers that say, you know what, sign on the dotted line, and uh, you'll have your escape from hell and a promise of heaven. It's not, in one sense, it's not a deal. But it is a promise that God has given. Uh, that the, the rewards uh, of following him uh, are real. And they are part of what we put our faith and trust in. Ultimately, in the God who promises that he does care for that he will be with, he will strengthen, and still have a future for us. Uh, the question is, will we choose momentary pleasure or the pleasure of the God of the universe for all eternity? In the moment of temptation, if we remember the God of the universe, he will give us a way of escape. Uh, he will, um, he is there, he is with us. We are not alone. And it is a, a better offer than he gives than anything that we could have uh, in this life. Uh, let's pray. Dear Father, uh, we come to you uh, today having uh, considered how you've worked with one of, uh, one of your children. Uh, Joseph uh, was not born on a different plane than us. He lived a, a life like ours. Uh, but because you chose him, uh, he responded in faith and uh, chose to obey you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength uh, to resist temptation, to be faithful and follow you. Uh, and help us, uh, as, we, as we sing in just a moment, uh, to treasure the value of Christ uh, in our life uh, and to see it of greater worth uh, than all that this world has to offer. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ken, for opening the word to us. Um, at this time, let's stand. We're going to sing a closing song. This is a new song, and I don't normally introduce new songs at the end of a service, but this one's so good it's worth doing. Um, 
this song talks, it fits and aligns very well with what we're talking about today. <laughs> 